0: Welcome to the Wealthsteading Podcast. This is episode 99. It's March 29th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at InvestableWealth.com. Well, in today's episode, I'm finally going to get around to answering listener questions that I've been promising I was going to do for several episodes now. I have a lot of questions. I'm not going to be able to get them all in on one episode. So let's call this part one of where I answer listener questions and let's get started. First question, this is something I receive all the time, and it goes something like this. Hey, should I pay off my mortgage early? Should I uh, refinance to get a you know 3.25 interest rate from a 4.0? Or should I go from a 30-year to a 15-year mortgage? Those kind of questions. Well, here's a bottom line on that kind of thing. And this carries over to my general philosophy on building wealth. And I want to tell you right up front, and if you've been listening to this podcast any length of time, you're going to know this. I didn't get to be financially independent because I'm a genius. I got to be financially independent by applying simple principles and breaking things down into simple units and then accomplishing one thing at a time, incrementally each day building wealth. And then overdoing that for, you know, a decade or so, your money compounds and you make more and more money. So what I'm trying to tell you when you get to these kind of situations of, you know, should you pay off your mortgage? Should it be a 15 or a 30 year mortgage? It isn't rocket science. I'm a simple guy, I do things in a simple fashion. If you want to know about your mortgage, take out your statement, look in the bottom of it. It'll tell you how much you owe on principal, how much you're paying every month for interest. It'll tell you what your payout rate is there. Take out a pencil and a calculator and some scratch pad. go onto the internet, go to a mortgage calculating program. there's there's free ones all over the internet and just do some quick analysis. If you're paying a 30-year mortgage and you have $250,000 to pay and it's at whatever interest rate, look at what it's telling you you're going to pay out over 30 years. Run the numbers. What would happen if you did it at 15? What would happen if you got your interest rate reduced by 25 basis points? You know, in 10 minutes, you can come up with that number and then you can decide, well, hey, is that extra, you know, $200 a month or $75 a month, is that worth refinancing for? Or should maybe I just put another $300 every month towards paying off the mortgage and keep it at a 30-year, and then it'll just naturally, you know, wean its way down that way. What I The point I want to make here, and this is the point about simplicity, and Dave Ramsey makes this point when he talks about the debt snowball. You know, he doesn't say figure out which payment that you uh, have the most interest rate on and pay that one off first. He tells you smart start on your smallest debt and pay that off, and then take that money and apply it to the next debt and pay that off. And when you do that, apply that to the next debt, and that's the way you do it. You snowball it. Well, when we build wealth, we're doing that snowball, but we're doing it by building wealth instead of by reducing debt, but it works the same way. And so don't worry about the nickel and dimes on things. The reason for having a 15-year mortgage versus a 30-year mortgage or the reasons for paying off your mortgage today rather than carrying it out for another seven or eight years don't have so much to do with how much money you're saving or what interest rates you're getting or, or you know, what use you could put that money to. What it really boils down to is the psychological impact of reducing your consumption, of not spending more than you make, of living a more reserved and a less consumer-driven lifestyle. So the whole point about paying off your house really doesn't have anything to do with the security of owning your house outright. And it's not about debating whether or not you can make a higher interest rate on that mortgage if you put it to work in the stock market or, you know, if you use it to pay off your house. The whole point of the fact is is that you're living in a house that you can afford. And then how do you know you can afford it? Because you paid it off. The best way, if you ever don't know if you can afford something, if you're scratching your head and you say, hey, can I afford this? The easiest way to answer that is, can you pay cash for it? If you can't pay cash for it, you can't afford it. Now, I'm not telling you to never go into debt. For many years, I had a mortgage. It was just something I had to live with to live at the quality of of life that I wanted to for my family because I didn't have enough money to buy the house outright. But eventually, that was my goal, and I got to the point where I could pay off my house because I wanted to live within my means. And so the point of paying off your mortgage isn't about building wealth. It's just about learning to live within your means and learning to live with what you can afford I'm going off on a tangent here, but let me point this out. And this gets into wealth building in general. It has a lot to do with owning a house. The home is probably going to be the largest expense you ever have in your life. And that's why it's so critical to not buy more than you can afford. I don't think that you should spend more than two and a half to three times what you're earning on a house. So if you're making $50,000, you shouldn't be living in a house that costs more than $150,000. If you're making $100,000, you shouldn't be living in a house more than $300,000. Now having said that, when I say you shouldn't be living in that, I mean that, yeah, you can afford more of a house, but if you want to be a middle-class millionaire, if you want to be somebody that's, that's, that has a million dollars or is financially independent before you're, you know, say 50 years old, then you need to stick to that two and a half to three times rule. Now if you go over that if you buy a house that's more expensive than that it doesn't mean you're not going to afford it. it is it doesn't mean that you're you're gonna have a hard time paying the mortgage what it means is is that when you're 48 or 49 or 50 years old you're not going to be financially independent in most cases anyways that's been my experience with the people that I've encountered and it's my own personal experience as well I was able to build up a net worth that you know in excess of a million dollars before I was 50 because I always lived in an affordable house And to me, it wasn't about the money. It was about the freedom. I would have rather scaled back my lifestyle and not live in as nice of a house as I could have afforded so that I could eventually be financially independent. And that would mean that I wouldn't have to work for corporate America or commute into the office every day or live someplace where I didn't want to. That's what financial freedom is all about. So let me give you a quick example. And I, again, I realize I'm going off on a tangent. I'm going to have to get through these questions a lot quicker. But I do want to make this point because it's so critical to how you build your wealth. Let's imagine two guys. They're both 22 years old. They're both living in Des Moines, Iowa. One of them just gets out of college. He's going to go work for a corporation. The other kid, I don't know if he went to college or not, but he's a plumber. He's going to start out being a plumber at the age of 22. Now, he's already got his journeyman's papers or whatever you have to do to be a plumber in Iowa. So that's where they start. Now, the guy that went to college, he starts out working in in Iowa. He's working for a corporation there. After two or three years, he gets promoted and his company transfers him from Des Moines. They move him to Minneapolis. Well, when he gets to Minneapolis, he gets a big raise, but of course the cost of living is higher there, and then of course he wants a bigger house, and he's got to drive a bigger car to keep up with his image. And so he does all that, he does a really good job, and you know, three or four or five years later, he gets promoted again, and this time they, his company sends him to Chicago. Same thing all over again. He gets a nice raise, but then of course the cost of living is more in Chicago than it was in Minneapolis. He buys a bigger house. He gets a nicer car, right? You see how that goes. And it keeps going on and on. And then finally, 20 years later, he finds himself. He's an executive. He's making, you know, several hundred thousand dollars. He has a great job at a corporation. He's, he's in a big city. Maybe he's in New York City or maybe he's in Los Angeles. But he still really finds himself pretty much living paycheck to paycheck. He has a a high-cost lifestyle. He's driving a really nice car that that isn't paid for. He's still leasing it or or making payments on it. He's living on this really nice big house on a nice golf course, you know, in a nice country club environment. But he's got a big mortgage on it. And at the end of the day, he's really just living paycheck to paycheck. Now, that other guy that started out at the same time with him that was 22 years old that was a plumber, well, he never leaves Des Moines. And over those 20 years, he's financially independent, and he has more than a million-dollar net worth. And he did that because he stayed in Des Moines. It's a low-cost area. Every year as he as he became a better plumber, he acquired more clients. He got more experience. You know, he started out working for somebody else, and then eventually he started his own business, or he, he bought the man out. When the guy that he was working for retired, he bought that business out, or he started his own firm, or, you know, however that goes. But over 20 years, he stayed in Des Moines. He only ever moved into maybe one or two houses He never got a house in the country club. He just got a nice house in a nice area in Des Moines. It was a place where his kids were safe. They could go to school. He was happy living in that community. And so consequently, 20 years later, he's a millionaire He's financially independent. Where the other guy that went to corporate America, he kept moving, he kept buying a bigger house every time, and he doesn't have the net worth of the guy that's the plumber. You see, the plumber is the blue-collar millionaire. He's the millionaire next door. That's how middle-class Americans can get wealthy. They do it over time. They do it by living a frugal lifestyle. They do it by living within their means. And so it really isn't all about, should it be a 15-year mortgage or a 30-year mortgage or should you pay off your mortgage in seven years or whatever. It's all about reducing your expenses and tapering your lifestyle so that you're happy, but also so that you're living well within your means. That's how you're going to get wealthy. So the debate you should be having with yourself shouldn't necessarily be about should you be paying off your mortgage. It should be, should you really be living in the high cost home that you're living in. The next probably question I get most often is about tax policy. Hey, how do I get great tax breaks when I start a business? Or what can I do to take my money out of my 401k plan or my IRA without paying taxes or penalties? And I got to tell you up front, I'm not a tax attorney. To me, taxes are not about building wealth. They're about taking away your wealth. So all I do is, I don't spend my time really learning the tax laws or worrying about the tax laws. I spend my time learning how to make money and then, well, you know, when it's appropriate, I hire a CPA or somebody else to, to worry about that kind of stuff. So my job is to make money and then I pay somebody to help me figure out the best course of action to deal with my taxes. You should be doing the same thing too. Don't listen to what I would say on taxes or don't necessarily believe what you read on the internet about taxes. If you're making enough money where you have to worry about some tax issues or you're wondering about what you should be doing and you know whether you're going to get penalized for taking money out of your IRA, you need to consult a CPA or a tax attorney. Those are the people that know the rules. If you get crossways with the IRS, let me tell you, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to get audited. There's fines. Those people don't have a sense of humor. I would encourage you to hire competent people to advise you on what you should be doing. And then always be paying the proper amount of taxes. You just don't want to get in trouble with the IRS. Having said that, I will tell you, you know, if you do have a simple question about what should you be doing with your IRA or, you know, what's allowed and what isn't allowed, you can Google some of that. There's a lot of good information about when you can and can't take things out of a Roth IRA or or out of a traditional IRA. But the rules are really, really different. I mean, there's things you can do in an IRA that you can't do in a Roth. There's things you can do in a 401k plan that you can't do in an IRA. So get professional advice in that. The bottom line, again, and this gets back to you don't have to be an Einstein, and I boil things down to the simplest possible way into living in a moderate lifestyle. When it comes to things like your IRA. If you're worried about not getting penalized because you want to take an early withdrawal or you want to know if something's taxable when you're taking something out of your IRA before you're 59 and a half or out of your Roth before you're 59 and a half, the point on that I would say is don't do it. That IRA is set up for your retirement account. You're not retiring when you're 30 years old. Leave the money in there. Don't touch it. Forget about it. Put money away in these tax-advantaged accounts so that you can tap into them when you're 70 and 80 years old. That's the way you're going to build wealth. I can't help you with questions about how do you get money out of your uh, retirement accounts early because I don't even think that way. The way I've built my wealth is by thinking about ways that I could get money into my retirement accounts, not out of my retirement accounts. Okay, so flip that paradigm around. That's the way you want to be thinking if you want to build wealth. The other thing I would say for those of you that ask questions about tax advantages and building a business, a business isn't about tax advantages. You are able to write things off when you have your own business, but these are just legitimate business expenses. If it's not a business expense, you can't write it off. And if you do, you're eventually going to get audited and you're going to get fined and you're going to have to pay penalties. And so that I mean, that's not the reason you start a business. You start a business to offer a product or a service in your community that's needed and valued. And when you do that better than other people, you'll attain customers, you'll be able to make a profit, and then from that profit, you're going to owe the government tax money. That's the way you want to think about it. That's how you build wealth with a business. If you're going into a business thinking about ways it can reduce your taxes, you're going into a business for the wrong reason. Focus on building wealth. Don't focus on reducing your taxes. The next most popular question I get has to do with investor education. Things like, you know, what book do you recommend that I should read to learn how to be a good investor? Well, you know what? I've been reading books for the last 30 years. Whenever people ask me that, I, a lot of times I'll just throw out the title of the last book that I read or something or, or kind of like an all-time favorite. I'm beginning to rethink that. I'm going to tell you in a second here what I think you should do. But the bottom line on all this is I've literally been reading investment books for 30 years, along with other books, history books, biographies, autobiographies. That's what has helped me get an edge in investing and why I think I'm a better than average investor. When you read these investment books, you may find that there's just one small idea in a book or you read a book that's 300 pages and there really may be only one paragraph in there that's a takeaway. Uh, in the old days where we did have to read a lot of books to get that knowledge, I would say, and this is where my my, my paradigm has changed in, in telling people what books they should read, I would recommend that the best thing that you can do is to just go to the Internet and Google things and go from topic to topic. Rather than necessarily reading a whole book, if you're interested in selling short Go to the internet, Google that, and then read some articles about it. Go to Amazon, read some reviews on books that are written about selling short. Go to websites like Investopedia, see what they sell, say about selling short. And then as you, as you accumulate that information, you'll be able to see if that's a topic that's really relevant to you. Is that something that you want to pursue further further? You know, when you were reading on Amazon about those things, did did a particular author seem to speak to you better than others? You know, did did the the format of, of a book you read about or the reviews you read about a book, did that help you maybe understand the topic better? You see, in the old days, you know, when I started out 30 years ago, I just had to go to the library and read everything. Well, you don't have to do that anymore. The Internet really allows you to just drill down, and so rather than having to read that 300-page book, you might be able to go to Amazon, read some reviews that other people have written about a book, get the main ideas out of it, and then not have to read the book at all. Now, I did a podcast, I don't know, maybe a few months ago. I talked about a cheapskate tip of not buying books, but just going and getting them from the library for free. I also mentioned in that that if you do read a book that you think it was valuable, you might want to buy that book, and you might want to buy it for you know two reasons. One might be just to have it as a reference. The other reason to buy it is just to thank the author. To just show you know a level of appreciation to the author. He took the time, he consolidated that information, he provided it to you. You know, if you read an investment book and you make ten thousand dollars off of it, hey, go buy the book from the author. You know, throw him fifteen bucks. That's gratitude. That's, um, you know, like a prosperity mentality where you're thankful for what you receive and then you, you take your earnings and you spread it out to other people. So don't be afraid to buy books. Don't be afraid to reward authors if they've helped you. But you know, there's just not enough hours in the day to read everything that's out there. So look at the things that appeal to you as to what you're interested in, what you want to learn more knowledge on. Start at Google, read reviews in Amazon, get some books from the library. That's what I would recommend. I can't really give you one or two titles that I think are going to make you a great investor and they're going to allow you to attain all the knowledge that I've gotten to this point in my life because I've been building it over 30 years. Having said that, I'd have to tell you one of my all-time favorite books, and you've heard me talk about it before it's written by William O'Neill. It's entitled How to Make Money with Stocks. William O'Neill is also the publisher of the newspaper Investor's Business Daily. That's a, that's a, The website for that is investors.com. I wasn't familiar with Bill O'Neill's methods until late in my life. I mean, I pretty much already had my first million dollars by the time I'd read his first investing book. And so his methods didn't help me get to where I'm at. But when I read his book, it was really the first book that I'd ever read that really had encapsulated what I had been doing over those previous 20 years. And so that's what I really liked about his methods of trading. Now they're not 100% equal to mine, but they did very much ring true to the methods and the and the techniques I was using. His concept called can slim, and again, you can either google that or read the book or whatever you'll you'll learn what I'm talking about. That was a method that I used to filter and find the stocks that I was investing in. Now, I didn't formalize the the technique or think about it as clearly as, as he had laid out in his book, but those were basically the principles that over the previous 20 years I had used to build my wealth. That's a good book for you. Go look for it at the library. In fact, you know what I'm going to do? I, I'm looking at my bookshelf here. I've got a copy of, of Bill's book, How to Make Money in Stocks. I'm going to give this away. So I have three of Bill O'Neill's books, How to Make Money in Stocks. The other book, is 24 Essential Lessons for Investment Success, and the other book is The Successful Investor. These are all by Bill O'Neill. I'm going to give all these away in some kind of a contest here, and let me see what else I have on my shelf. I have four copies of Stephen Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, this book, and this book was written a long time ago, um, but I bought this by the case and have just given it out to people over the years. I have four copies left. Some of these are older. They've never been. They've never been read. These are you know new unread books, but they're older. I can see some of these pages are yellow. So those books must have been sitting around for a long time. Anyways, so there's four copies of Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and then three books by Bill O'Neill. That's seven books. I'm going to give those away to listeners. Let me think of a contest for those of you that have taken the time to go out and write a review in the iTunes Store. If you're interested in getting one of these books for free, you want to be in the contest. Go to my website, wealthstedding.com, and the contact section there. Write to me. Tell me that you wrote a review for me in iTunes. Tell me, you know, what your screen name or whatever on there was, and that you want to be entered in the drawing for one of these seven books. And then we'll raffle off these books. Whoever wins, I will just uh, come back to you. I'll notify that you were the winner. You can give me your address, and then I'll mail it to you for free. So do that. Also, when you write me and tell me you want to be in the contest, if you only want to be in the drawing for Covey's book, tell me that. Or if you only want to be involved in Bill O'Neill's investing books, let me know that because I know some of you, these are definitely two different strategies, right? Covey's book is about how to be successful in a general self-help way. And then Bill O'Neill's books are more about specifically investing in the stock market. So some of you may want to be in either drawing. I know others of you may just want to be in one or the other. So let me know that. Let me know that you wrote a review. Tell me which, which review you wrote in iTunes. If you wrote me a bad review, I'll throw you out of the drawing. No, I'm kidding. I don't care. The reviews are out there. You write whatever you want. But as long as you did a review for me in iTunes, I'll enter you in the drawing. This goes back to, you know, all the way last summer. If you you did a review for me last July when I started the show, that's fine. You can count that. If you haven't done a review for me yet, well, hey, you know what? This is a great chance to get over to iTunes and write a review. I mean, hey, quit being a freeloader. I've only got about, I don't know, 70 or so reviews. There's thousands of you that download this podcast every episode. I don't ask much of you. Get out there and write a review. I know it's a little pain in the neck if you already don't have an iTunes account and you have to sign up for it and stuff, but please do that. I'll give you until, let's see, um, April 15th, tax day. We'll we'll cut off this drawing on April 15th, midnight Pacific time. That's when I'll do the drawing. So so in between now and then, if you haven't done it, rate the review at iTunes store. Then go over to Wellsteading.com. Use that contact form to let me know that you want to be in the drawing. Bottom line on educating yourself, though, Start with Google, go to Amazon, read reviews, find out what's best for you. Find out the things that you're interested in, drill down on those. Remember, and I've talked about this in previous episodes, the best investing technique is the one that works for you. Maybe you can make a million dollars selling short. Maybe the other guy can make a million dollars in real estate. We're all different people. We have different uh, skills, skill levels, different learning abilities. Find out what works best for you and then become an expert in that particular area. In general, that's what you want to do with wealth building, and then specifically, that's what you want to do in investing. Maybe you're somebody that likes to do individual stocks. Maybe you're a value investor. Maybe you want to trade exchange traded funds, or maybe you want to deal in bonds. You can make money in any of those areas. You just have to become better than the average guy, and you're going to do that by acquiring knowledge. Well, I think this is a good point to end episode one here. We'll come back up on the next episode and we'll finish out these questions. As always, I want you to remember, I'm not offering you specific advice. I'm not giving you recommendations. This podcast is simply just giving you information to help you learn and think on your own. Until our next episode where we pick up on these questions, this is John Pugliano, wishing you the very best of returns.